welcome to those who are watching online as well. Uh, we're glad you're able to catch up, even though you've not been able to be here this morning. And for those in the room, we'll bring it in now and um, get into, for me, what's week two of the year uh, and uh, a lead into our focus for the rest of the year. So my goal last week from the pulpit was to share with you all uh, a bit of vision for the, the season ahead. Um, the title of that talk I called The Church We See. And um, just talking about the kind of community that I, I believe that, and I believe God believes, is possible for the Billabong to be. Um, I, I kind of love to dream and have a bit of a vision for the future and a destination that we're moving towards. Um, our staff team are in the middle of doing some coaching around personal characteristics and talents and strengths and things and how we work together on those. It's a program called Strength Finders. And um, out of 34 areas in this, this program, my top one is futuristic, which basically means my head lives in 2021 and my body lives in 2019. Um, but wh while I believe that it's really important that we have a vision of where we're going and kind of think, well, what's the future look like? We finished last year talking about not planning, but let me see if you remember. Nope, no one was listening. Awesome. <laughs> Preparation. Prepare our hearts. What's going on in here that we might be prepared for what the Lord wants to do? Not running ahead of God and saying, God, you're going to do this for us, but saying, God, we're ready for whatever you want to lead us into. And so while I love, I, I really do, I love the vision of the Billabong that we now have to be a thriving family of God that's transforming our communities. And I, I just am excited about that. I think it's awesome. Uh, but I know that there's something way more important in our day-to-day -day focus than just that vision of where we're going. And that is how to get there. On the screen behind me, there's a, a picture um, of uh, the kind of bush, and there's this, this trail, this path that weaves through. And uh, this, this idea that the way we get to a destination, the journey um, being kind of really important, is hard for me to grasp sometimes because I'm the sort of person that only goes on a hike if there's somewhere you need to get to, and it's only by foot that you can get there. Um, it's the same with driving, like long-distance long driving. A long drive is only something for me that is you know, necessary if you've got to get to somewhere far away, like another city or a town. And yet I'm told that there are some people who like to go on a hike just to hike, <laughs> or a long drive just to go on a long drive. Or maybe a bike ride just to go for a ride. Now, this doesn't compute in my mind because I'm a bit more sort of destination focused. But I must admit that since I got married, some of these things, like a walk, a hike, or a drive, a long drive, have started to become a little bit more than just a means to an end for me because the, these journeys can actually be enjoyable. They can be more than just a way to reach a destination. And Karen is one of those people who likes to go on a hike just to go on a hike. Um, I can't say we've done many hikes together, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll get there. Um, maybe I'm still learning. And this whole idea that the journey 
can be enjoyable, valuable, can be just as good as the destination, is certainly the case with a journey towards a spiritual vision as well. The journey itself is not just head down, get stuck in, suck it up until we get to where we need to be. It's actually something that can be life-giving and can be fun. Let's have some fun in church. And make the desti- I mean, it can make the destination even sweeter as well, but just the journey there can be fun and can be exciting. I'm talking about our mission. mission a mission is the pathway to the place that we want to be. It's the journey. And we now express our mission like this, to live and love like Jesus. Let me say a quick word about the Billabong's history. We have previously expressed our mission uh, with the words, promoting life in our communities, right? Some of you will know that phrase well, promoting life in our communities. And what I love about that statement was actually the hidden meaning in it. Life comes from Jesus. And so when we talk about life, we're talking about life in Christ. That's the life that we're promoting, promoting life in Christ. And so what that means to promote that life is to be his ambassador. This was all part of the development of the Billabong's vision. We literally take this life in Christ into our communities. We are ambassadors of Christ. We show to people this life, encouraging them to accept it too. That was the mission. Now we're just expressing that same thing a little more explicitly. We live like Jesus and we love like Jesus. We become imitators of Christ, Christians, Christians, right? Little Christs, so that he's promoted, so that he's represented well in the communities around us to the end of them being transformed. And that journey is not just kind of this means to an end, like a hike I have to go on to get to the destination that it doesn't have a, a, a paved road. It's, it's not the kind of uh, hike or long, it's the kind of hike or long drive that you want to go on because the beauty along the way is incredible. And the incredible destination, which ultimately is heaven, heaven is the ultimate thriving family of God where the community is completely transformed. I mean, that is just the icing on the cake. The journey along the way is amazing. And so, as I've mentioned, we're going to spend this year studying the life of Jesus, primarily through Mark's Gospel, but as Anna said, the different Gospels give us different angles. And so we'll touch on different uh, parts of those as well. But we'll study the life of Jesus, because if we're to live like him, and if we're to love like him, We need to know what that looks like and why it's so good to live like him and why it's full of joy because he knew joy and Jesus knew fulfillment and Jesus knew love. And I want to start today with a bit of an overview before we get into Mark's gospel next week of what I think characterized Jesus' life overall. And I want to call this, uh, this talk New, Different, Better. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for just the opportunity to be here this morning. It's, um, on the one hand, it's just another Sunday morning. Uh, it's just another opportunity to, to worship you, to maybe be refreshed for the week. But at the same time, Lord, it's, it's a day that you have made. You have brought us here to be in this space right now or watching online at whatever particular time that may be. And you have something to say to us. 
You, the creator of the universe, have something to show us, something to inspire us with, something to challenge us on, that we may become more like you. And Lord, I pray that this morning, or whenever we're watching this, would, we, would, we would be open in our heart to receive from you, that you would change our mindset to become more like you, that you would transform our hearts to become more like you. And so, Father, we say that we are open to what you would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So next week, we're going to start in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, and then begin to work our way through over the course of 2019. But by way of introduction today, before we get there, I want to read a part from, from the first chapter, a little bit further down, that we're going to cover in more detail when we get there later. And it's uh, from, verse chap- from verse 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, And John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He came out among the wild animals and angels took care of him later on after Jesus after John was arrested Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news the time promised by God has come at last he announced the kingdom of God is near repent of your sins and believe the good news so the reason i picked that section today is because i believe that in these few verses are two of the primary things that we need to know about how Jesus lived and how Jesus loved. There's these two defining themes in his life and in the Bible, which overall points to Jesus. The Bible is one unified story that we believe points to Jesus. And these are a couple of themes, two themes through all of that. The first uh, theme starts way back in Genesis chapter 1. So this is what we're going to be doing today, is a little bit of a Bible overview up to Jesus. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, which is the first book of the Bible, where it all begins, the first human beings had this unhindered, completely trusting relationship with God, made obvious by the fact that they were both, Adam and Eve, they were both naked. Now, I might make a few of you blush here, but who's the only person, if anyone, who you would walk around the house with in your birthday suit? Maybe someone you're very close to, someone who there is uh, no judgment, and especially important is only if they're the only person around. It's not just like, oh, you know, they're there, so that's fine, I can strip down. Only someone with whom there's no judgment, there's complete trust, there's a special closeness and relationship. Now, I say this just to highlight the kind of close relationship that human beings had with God in the beginning. They weren't just buddies. You don't get together with your buddies and go, oh, we'll just, you know, be in our birthday suit together. The relationship was completely unhindered intimate and they were partners with God, co-ruling together with God over all creation, over the animals and the plants. And it's hard for us, it's, it's really hard for us to imagine in this day and age and in this time what that 
felt like and what that looked like. It's almost as if they were equals with God, but at the same time they'd been created by him so he was like their father. And that's Genesis chapter 1, this beautiful, almost too hard to imagine picture of relationship and closeness with God. The rest of the Old Testament is about how that all went downhill. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. It all got ruined. Instead of this beautiful relationship uh, and partnership with God in chapters 1 and 2 of the first book, all the rest goes bad. The temptation in front of Adam and Eve and ultimately in front of all human beings, the temptation was to turn their backs on this partnership opportunity and say, we're going to define good and evil for ourselves. This will break the relationship and this will result in a separation from the one who gives us life in the first place. And I've started uh, just recently reading through the, the Bible again um, from, from the beginning using an app called uh, the Read Scripture app. I really recommend it. Embedded in it is the Bible Project videos, which actually our SuperCal group use uh, with the teenagers. Um, and the Bible Project videos and the, the app, they do a great job of helping us understand the big picture and the overall story of the text uh, right from the beginning. So I highly recommend if you want to do a Bible reading plan this year, have a go at that one. Read Scripture. Um, you can find it on the App Store or Google Play or whatever it is. Um, and I'm partway through Genesis at the moment, and, and basically it's just this downward spiral. It's just going worse and worse and worse. Even the heroes of the faith, like Noah and Abraham, patriarch of the, the Jewish people, they're deeply flawed. Every single one of them, they get it wrong. And the common thread is exactly that. They all get it wrong. Thank goodness we're in good company as people of faith. But the Old Testament is also about how God goes about restoring the relationship back to the way it was at the beginning, the broken relationship between humanity and himself. And central to this is what's called covenants. And this is where the theme, one of the first of the, first of the two themes of Jesus' life in the Scriptures uh, begins. It's where God makes a promise with someone to do with the restoration of relationship with them. And he asks for a commitment in return because the relationship is two-way. So let's do a quick Bible overview in this area. There's four covenants in the Old Testament that I want to quickly go over. The first one's with Noah. And Noah uh, is the one, if you don't know the story, big flood, Noah and his family and all the animals go into the big boat they have to build so that because actually everything's just gone terrible and God needs to basically make a fresh start. But God, after this, promises never, never ever to wipe out the human race again, no matter how bad it gets. And he promises to make the, the earth a safe place uh, and a prosperous place for humanity to live. And this one's really interesting because there's no commitment required in response from Noah. God says, you know what, I know you guys are going to fail me, but I'm going to be faithful anyway. So it's a very special covenant, this one. Next there's Abraham. He comes a little bit later. And uh, God promises to bless him and his descendants because somehow through this family of Abraham, uh, God is going to bring, bring blessing to the rest of the world. And so there's this hint of a bit of a movement back towards the way things were meant to be, where God and humanity are, are, are together and are close one again, once again. 
So God's initiating this movement back to the garden, if you like. Abraham's to raise up his family in the way that is good and is right. That's what to be his commitment. And um, he certainly doesn't do that perfectly, but God credits him uh, as righteous because of his faith. That's a key point in the story, because of his faith. Then there's the tribe of Israel. Now, this is uh, a tribe that's been established from the family of Abraham. So a bit further down in the story there, to obey God's instructions, there to do good in partnership with God once again. And God promises to bless them. He promises to allow them to represent God to the rest of humanity eventually. And so this restored relationship is getting closer and closer. It's becoming a possibility again. And finally, there's King David, where the tribe of Israel has now become the nation of Israel. David's the king and says... They are to do what is right and just, and God promises that one day a descendant of David will come and establish God's kingdom of peace and of blessing over all the nations. And so each covenant is a promise. It's a a promise of of establishing this relationship, this partnership between God and humans once again. And each covenant is a little closer to that original unhindered relationship God had with Adam and Eve. Despite all this, though, it doesn't go well. Humanity breaks all the covenants. We're not living up to our end of the bargain. And so for a few thousand years, things don't look particularly good for humanity. Now, you might say, what on earth does all this have to do with living like Jesus? Well, Jesus did what no other human being has done before. In response to the love of God, he obeyed God. He lived the way God wanted him to live. See, every time God had made a covenant before, it was out of love. It was, I love you. I want to bless you. I want the relationship with you again. I want to give you back what you've lost since the garden, human beings. That's what I want. I love you. And every single time, that radical love that God showed was thrown back in God's face until Jesus. Until Jesus. Jesus stays in that covenant relationship with God. He lives, is grounded in that relationship with God. He fully accepts and embraces the love of God the Father. He he actually accepts it. He embraces it. Now let's read this passage from Mark chapter 1 again. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. Now this didn't mean Jesus had to live the way God wanted him to live. This didn't mean Jesus had to go, I embrace that. He could have said, I'm just like everyone else before me, even the the prophets and the kings and all of them. He could have said, I'm going to do it my way. But he didn't. He understood something that we seem to miss so often. That sonship, this honor of being beloved of God, was not something to be squandered. It was the most precious thing in the universe. The source of his strength and of his wisdom and the source of his value and his worth and the source of his comfort and of, his, and of life itself 
was this love of the Father. And as we journey through the life of Jesus this year, this is what we will see over and over and over again, that Jesus lived like this. He knew he was loved and valued. And he valued that above all else. He knew he was loved by the Father, by God. And this is the first distinctive theme of his life. We say it all the time, God loves us, God loves you. You know, we could never do anything to separate us from the love of God. Do we recognize how powerful this is? That this was the theme of Jesus' life. He knew he was loved and he embraced that. He accepted that covenant relationship that was offered to him when so many times before it was rejected. He prioritized time with the Father over time and attention from crowds. He, he, he trusted that God's plan was the best, even though it would be really, really hard. And he was the first one to really say, because you've promised me this love and this faithfulness, God, I will be faithful to you. I will love you in return. I will gladly respond with obedience, lest I lose or risk losing this amazing privilege of relationship and love from you. What does it mean to live like Jesus? It means living in covenant relationship with God. It means knowing we are loved and accepting and embracing that. To know that we know that we know that we know that we know we are beloved. Anybody agree with me? That nothing is worth more than this relationship. So even this costly obedience that comes with following Jesus, it becomes a joy because we're pleasing our Father and only He loves us unconditionally. By the way, part of the good news in all of this is that Jesus didn't, uh, because Jesus didn't break the covenant relationship with God and yet took on the, the consequences of our rebellion, Jesus established what's called in the scriptures a new covenant. So there's all these old covenants and the, some of them were referred to as the old covenant but he established a new covenant through his blood. And so the commitment of right living in these covenants with Abraham and David and the, the tribe of Israel, all of that commitment that we human beings were supposed to have has been fulfilled in Jesus now. And so we can freely enter into this relationship, this partnership with God through faith in Jesus. What does this mean? Well, we know we're loved and accepted and, and it's in, incredible. And what it means is that we, we get a second and third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance because we forget. Have you ever forgotten how much God loves you and you try to find love from someone else or something else or somewhere else or someplace else? And then we kind of drift away and then we realize, oh man, the, this, this, this closeness that I'm supposed to have with God because I'm filled by the Holy Spirit and saved and redeemed by Jesus and loved by the Father. I've just, it's, it's drifting a little bit and because of Jesus, because he didn't drift, our faith in him means we immediately come back to that closeness with God. That is, that is good news, friends. That is good news whether you've been a Christian for a hundred years or, I know none of you are a hundred, but... Um, or, or two minutes. It's good news to us every single day. I'm drifting from my sermon notes. So the covenant that we are offered, it is, I mean, this is the reality. It is new, it is different, it is better than the old covenant. It's so grace-filled. Now, if this is the case, why doesn't it feel like the Garden of Eden? I know I said it's hard to imagine the Garden of Eden, but if it is this beautiful picture of closeness and intimacy with God, why doesn't it always feel like that 
perfect reality. Well, on the one hand, I think we ought to look at the good that we do experience first in this day and age. It's a broken world, absolutely. But have you read the Old Testament? Anyone? Have you read the Old Testament? Have you read about uh, the time of Noah before the flood? The city of Sodom? It was bad. I mean, this world may feel godless sometimes, but if God really had abandoned us to our fate right now, if he'd really said, you know what, go at it on your own, things would look very, very, very different. Hell is not some mystical place somewhere with fire and sulfur that we'll just go to when we, we die if we don't trust in Jesus or whatever you've heard about it before. Hell is, is this earth when God is absent. When God is not around, it's worse. It's way worse. And while there are definitely glimpses of that, and through history, absolutely there have been glimpses of that through our history and through, in this world, it would be far worse if God truly did leave us to ourselves. This may not be the Garden of Eden, what we experience right now in this day and age, but it's not the opposite of that either. And yet something is happening that is drawing us closer and closer to that reality. Something is happening that is drawing us closer and closer to that complete restoration of intimacy with God And it has to do with the second primary way Jesus lived. He he embraced this covenant relationship with God, the love of the Father. The second theme and distinctive of his life we see in the next bit of this this section that we read. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come, he announced. What time is that? The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Repent of your sins and believe the good news kingdom of God is near. What is the kingdom of God? Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven, which might give us a bit of a hint. As with the new covenant that Jesus has established, which is new and different and better than the old covenants with Noah and Abraham and David, the new kingdom, the kingdom of God is a new, different, better kingdom then all of those established throughout history that continue to be established by leaders and rulers and societies and regimes today. See, another focus, if we were to do a a broad overview of the Old Testament and of the Scriptures, another focus and theme through all of it is, is the kingdoms and the kings that rose and fell over time. We don't have time to unpack it all today, but God's people constantly struggled because they sought to rule themselves. We got this. We have rulers to do this and establish that and restore things and bring peace and prosperity to the land. And it sounds familiar these days sometimes with our leaders in our countries. And sometimes in history, God would just say, you know what, fine, have it your way. Sometimes God was even gracious enough to say, I'm going to bless you even though you're doing it your way. But ultimately, it all proved this in the end, that humanity cannot save itself. That humanity cannot bring back the blessings of the Garden of Eden to itself. No matter how hard it tries, no matter how good the king or the judge or the leader or the patriarch or the priest may have been, A new, a different, a better king, leader 
ruler is needed for that. But Jesus didn't come to establish just any old kingdom. He came to establish an upside-down kingdom, one where the king did not seek to be served, but to serve. A kind of reality that is so hard to accept because it's so different to the reality that we have carved out and keep carving out for ourselves. But it's different for a good reason. It's different in the best way possible. This kingdom is full of peace and of love and of joy and of hope. And it's full of nothing that is bad. It's rid of sin and sickness and selfishness and pain and sorrow and weeping. So how did Jesus live? Well, we've covered that he lived as beloved of God in relationship with God. But he also lived as a representative and an ambassador of God and his kingdom. This is the theme of Jesus' life. This was his message. He was a messenger. He was a herald. A one who ushered in this new, different, better kingdom that was different and better than any other. Through serving the last, the lost, and the least. Through serving, not through being served. He took up this, what I'll call a kingdom representative responsibility that came out of a deep knowledge of his, the love of God for him. Kingdom representative responsibility. See, as we study the life of Jesus this year, what we're really digging into is the beautiful relationship with the Father that he had and the bold, world-changing responsibility that he embraced and lived out as a result. Covenant relationship, kingdom responsibility. This is the life of Jesus. And to live like him, I want to humbly suggest to you that that journey is new, different, and better than any other that you could take. To fully embrace this. Now, you might or might not wonder, well, I've covered, this is how Jesus lived. What about the part of the mission that says how Jesus loved? And that's a fair question. Our mission is to live and love like Jesus. But loving him is just part of living like him. He, he loved as one who is loved. He loved as one who is representing the king of love. It's just that love is the most important part. Of his life. It's the defining factor of his life. To say that our mission is to live like Jesus, and that's it. It risks missing the fact that he embodied the God of love. It risks missing the fact that this kingdom is primarily about love, the way God defines it and the way God exercises it. First and foremost, that's what it's all about. And so today is an invitation. Today, it's I want this to be an invitation to come on a journey. To be open to how the Spirit of God might want to transform you, to deconstruct your mind and your heart, and to remold you to be more like Jesus. I, I know I need that. This covenant relationship and kingdom responsibility to live like, like Jesus and love like Jesus. Now, sometimes... Um, I think I've got a pretty good handle on what Jesus was like. You know, I'm a pastor. I'm kind of, I think I know the Bible pretty well. I'm doing all right um, at imitating Jesus' life. And then I read something, or maybe I'm sort of prompted by the Spirit in some way, maybe through um, I'm talking with someone who's more Christ-like than me, 
um, or listening to someone talk who, who's been journeying longer than me, and then I just realized, man, I have no idea what it is like to live and love like Jesus. My mindset is just so out of sync with him. My heart is so disconnected from him. I need to change. Now, if you, on the other hand, are like, you know what, I'm good. I reckon I'm doing okay with this whole Christian thing. You probably need to find another church because I'm sure you'll be a great blessing to them. But if you're like me and you're saying, I need to be transformed. I need my mind to be renewed. I need my heart to be revived. I need my broken and weary soul to experience passion again. Like the first time you committed your life to Jesus. Then I pray you'd stick around this year. We are one big, happy, dysfunctional family. But seeking to be a thriving family of God who by God's grace are transforming our communities. And Jesus is the one who will get us there. Jesus is the one who will lead us there. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the life inside us. He is the spirit who gives us breath. He is our salvation. He is our rock, our redeemer, our rescuer. If I was Pentecostal, I'd say, can I get an amen in the house? He is God. He is the one who loves us and he showed us the love of the Father. By the way, I really love Pentecostals, okay? I wasn't meaning to, um, you know, I'm a closet Pentecostal myself. (laughs) We are becoming Pentecostal. Um, This is my last sentence. It's supposed to be the most important one. I've totally lost my train of thought. He's God. Jesus is the one who has showed us God, the love of the Father, who wants to walk closely with us in an unashamed, intimate partnership. So one day, things will be as they were meant to be. That's what it's all about. Father, I pray this morning that you would Bring us to life again. Lord, we are, we are only human, and so we, we do the same as what David and Abraham and Noah and all the rest of the Old Testament characters, we, we do the same as what they all did. On the one hand, when they were at their best, they pointed to Jesus. When they were at their worst, they just pointed to what the rest of us are like. And so, Father, we... We come before you and we say, we don't have what it takes. We get tempted to think that we on our own are capable of something beautiful. And and that is only true because you have placed your mark, your, your imprint on our life. You have made us in your image. And so there is good inside us because you are at work in our lives. But on our own, Lord, we are your creations image bearers of God who have drifted and need to be adopted back into your family. And Lord, for those of us who have been adopted into that family, we thank you. We are so grateful. And for those of us in the room who are considering what that looks like, are being drawn towards you, are not sure what it is, but sense in our spirit that we know it's a step of faith Father, I pray that you would continue to show every single one of those people in this room 
and watching online that you love them. That you care about them. That you care about what they experience both here and into eternity. That you want to transform their heart and their mind and their spirit to know you personally, to know you as their loving Father, and to be filled with your Spirit. Just as we continue in prayer, I just feel that if if there's any of us, uh, whether it be that we have committed our life to Jesus many years ago, or whether it's a decision we've yet to make, that if God is tugging on your heart right now, all you need to do is just say, God, I, um, I commit my life to you. I ask for forgiveness for my sins. I'm sorry that I have turned my back on you all my life, even if I didn't know that I was not supposed to. And I turn to you now to live uh, as a child of God. And I just ask you to to ask God to to fill you with his spirit, with his very life. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this room right now and what you're doing through your church across the world, drawing people to you. Lord, we pray you would enliven us, that you would revive us, give us passion again to serve you. And may, over the course of this year, may we live like you, Jesus. May we love like you. May we come to a greater understanding of what that looks like and what that means. And may we choose faith over works that we may please you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, as always, if you have...